0: going to kind of age us a little bit, but there was a time when we didn't have one of these high-definition TVs, okay? Now, maybe you don't yet, and probably you're better off for it, but there was a time when we didn't, and I remember when we first got one of these TVs that would, that would play high-definition. Have you seen one of these things? I mean, it's amazing. For us, it was a plasma TV, and the thing weighed about 500 pounds, and we had to carry that thing into the house and set it up and, and hooked it all up and all that kind of stuff. And, and we, there were some channels that we had in our package that I didn't even know existed okay, at that time. And I'm just sort of you know, moving around through the channels, just amazed at the difference of the television screen. I mean, the golf, the golf courses you know, it looked different, the football game, the ba- all the colors looked different. And then I landed on this high-definition channel. So now I had a high-definition TV, it was a high-definition channel, and what happened to me playing that day was a program called Planet Earth. Have you seen this? I'm telling you what, it blows your mind. It blows your mind. It's a series of, I think, about nine different documentaries that, that highlight sort of different regions of the world and show you the, primarily the animal life, but also the plant, the plant kingdom as well. So you see the animals and the plants of, of just different regions of the world. And, and what, they, what they showed you, and in that day for us in high definition, for the first time, just blew my mind. I mean, the little intricate details of these, of this, of this, you know, these animal life forms that were, were doing amazing things. Across the African plains and, you know, the the, the ice-covered lands of the Arctic. It was just incredible to see what the penguins did and the the polar bears and the, the buffalo and all. It was just amazing. It was amazing. It's amazing to see what God has done. What God has created. What the Lord has fashioned and made for His glory and for our joy. That's why God made all this. To glorify Himself and and honestly to bring us joy and seeing and observing and and just marveling at God's creative touch. Go with me in the Bible this morning to Genesis chapter 1. Go to Genesis chapter 1. At the creation account, as God inspired His word and Moses recorded it for us, there is no witness other than God himself of Genesis chapter one? There's no human that can write down what happened here. Only God was there when this occurred. Only God saw this. Only God can accurately reflect what happened when the earth and all that we are aware of came into being. And I want to take just a minute here and look at it and and just marvel together at what God did. I'm going to read a couple of verses here and, and just Make some comments along the way. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God feels no need to introduce Himself. He says, I'm the Creator Elohim. And I made the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. As we see here the Trinitarian nature of God, even hinted at, revealed here in the second verse of all of the Bible, we begin to see that God is three in one. The Spirit of God is here, hovering over the earth. And you can take your eyes over the next 25, 30 verses and see the Lord speaking, and there's plants, speaking, and there's animals. Prior to that, speaking, and there's dry land. Speaking, and there are the seas. It's amazing when you see what God has done. He says in the end of the chapter, verse number 31, God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. God sees His creation and proclaims it as very good. And that day, sitting in the living room of my house, watching on that plasma television in high definition the planet earth documentary I agreed that it is very good and it's wonderful what it is to see the wildlife and to see the plant form let's jump up to verse number 26 let's see day 6 God said let us make man in our image this is just prior to him declaring it very good after our likeness And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And as we already saw, He said, It is very good perfect harmony with God. It's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, everything is there. The land, the water, the fish, the birds, the plants, the trees, the animals, the humans, perfect harmony with God. Very good. This morning, I woke up as I always do on Sunday morning and probably like you, I I rolled over and, you know, just thought about the day and grabbed my phone to see what's going on in the world and What do you know? There's a notification on my phone. Fox News. That's rarely good. Open it up. There's a shooting in Orlando, Florida. And I think, not again. Not again. If you haven't heard, some crazed individual walked into a nightclub Last night, and apparently at 2 o'clock in the morning, this person with a suicide vest on and a handgun and an assault weapon and all these things that the media is telling us, trying to find a reason, trying to find a reason, walks into this nightclub and opens fire. The last I checked, they've identified over 50 people are dead. Yeah. Yeah. And that many also are injured. The number will only go up. You know it. When a madman opens fire into a group of people, people die. What is wrong? What is going on? Fifty people this morning died. Two days ago in the same town, Christina Grimmy, I don't even know who this person is, Third place on the show, television show The Voice, killed. A shooting at Dallas Airport four days ago. A terrorist attack in Tel Aviv, Israel, five days ago. One week ago, a teacher at Jefferson High School hangs himself at the school. Just over a week ago, at our own community, a teenager dies from a drug overdose. God said it's very good. What's the problem? This is just a sampling. This is just all I did to get that list was to literally open up my phone, look at notifications, and go through Fox News and wrote them down this morning. And that's what I was told is happening. What has occurred? It's an old problem. Go to Genesis chapter 6. You're there in Genesis? Turn over to Genesis chapter 6. This is early on, folks. This is early on. This is just within probably just a few hundred years of the first man and woman there described in Genesis 1 and 2. Chapter 6, verse number 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, jump down to verse number five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the heart and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sin entered in. Sin entered in. It entered into the garden. And it's raining throughout our world. And we have, as believers in Christ, as those who understand the truth, if we don't allow this truth that is in Scripture, if we do not allow it to shape our worldview and to understand what is happening around us, we will be paralyzed in grief, paralyzed in discouragement, throw up our hands, and just quit. If you don't allow yourself to see what has happened, to understand, not just to see with your eyes, not just to hear with your ears, but to process it, and to see the damaging effect of sin, to see the curse of sin on this earth, if we don't see it, we'll go crazy with what is happening around us. We should not be surprised. Now listen. We should not be surprised at what is happening in this world. Scripture has told us that this is going to happen. When man opposes God, this is what occurs. And if you are not a student of the Bible, you may not know that this same pattern repeats over and over and over. Man has an opportunity to follow God, but man rejects Him. And so God allows man to just have free reign and say, do whatever you want to do. Go ahead, I will release you. Do what you want to do. So man now digs around in trash, digs around in sin, and there's great death, and there's destruction. And then that same man, that same human, rises up from the dust. A few. A remnant. Us. Us. Let us not forget. Prior to you coming to Christ, if you're in Jesus today, you were very capable of walking into that nightclub and opening fire. Do not forget that. We must remember that. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. Every one of us, apart from the grace of God, would pull that trigger as well. By the time we're done today, you will believe that. You will believe that. But God has rescued us. He has called us out from this world. And we are called the ecclesia. Those who are called out of this world to be different. To be different. Holy. Set apart. Called priest of God is what you are. What is priest? Priest. It's one that is completely different and called apart and is there offering himself or herself to be a go-between and say, listen, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about forgiveness. Let me tell you about God. Hear. See who He is. The world opposes God. The world needs forgiveness. And we are new creatures. I trust that to you today. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised and do not be calloused. Don't be surprised nor calloused. Every time you see one of those things on the news, I urge you to weep in your heart. I don't care what the media tells us. I don't care if they they identify this person as this group or that group. Listen, I've already seen in the news, they're already trying to blame this on potentially he's Islamic, potentially he's a Muslim. Listen, he didn't kill these people because he's Muslim. No. There are many, there are many other isms who are killing people all the time. All the time. Hindus killing people. Jewish people killing people. Muslims killing people. Christians killing people. Atheists killing people. The problem isn't. The problem is not his Islam. The problem is his Christlessness. That's what the problem is. Man is demonstrating what happens when you convince yourself that there is no God. That He doesn't have a plan for our life. And that Jesus is not the only way. If you don't quite believe me, let me share you something else that will equally hurt your heart. To demonstrate that we are living in the culture of death. The culture of death. But we're lights. Don't misunderstand me. We are a shining hill. We're on a city on a hill now. We are lights. Listen. This is according to the CDC in conjunction with the National Right to Life Organization. If you consider the average number of deaths per day by abortion since 1973. So understand what happened. In 1973, abortion was made legal and now there have been great effort to track the number of abortions that have happened. This is only in the United States of America. Abortion is worldwide. But the numbers I want to share with you that are going to blow your mind are only for the United States of America. The average number of deaths since 1973, the daily death rate by abortion exceeds that in the United States of the death rate of heart disease, of cancer, of cancer, of diabetes, of auto accidents, of gun violence, of suicide, combined. Combined. The most dangerous place in America is a mother's womb. We gotta let that sink in for a minute. We gotta let that sink in. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Let me say this. I know that there are certainly women here, and there are certainly men. Here, who've been responsible for abortion. I know that. In Christ, you can be forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. But if that is you, if that is you, there is nobody better prepared. There is nobody. More equipped. There is nobody who is more qualified to comfort others because of that sin than you. Nobody. But we have to move to understand what God has shared in His Word about human beings. You're in Genesis? Go a little further. Go to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Now we're post-flood. We're post-flood. I want you to see a few things here in Genesis chapter 9. Verse number 3. Genesis 9. God speaking to Noah and his sons and his daughter-in-laws and and their, their children. And He says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So we're seeing here that God is saying to Noah, hey, there's something different. There's something different about you and animals. The animals are for you to eat. The animals are for you to consume. And God is saying, there's something different now. What is that difference? What is the difference between these animals and the plant kingdom? We'll say both of them, really. What's the difference in them? and Noah and his sons and daughters. What's the difference? Is it just survival of the fittest? Is it only because Noah is the smartest? is the strongest? Noah knows how to fashion weapons? Biologists might tell us, well, we are the most advanced because we have the ability to communicate. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's because Noah can communicate. He can communicate with language, and so so he he has rational thought. He can understand his own consciousness. He, he's self conscious. Maybe that's what it is. No. That's not what it is. Humans are not special. Humans are not unique because they can communicate, because they can domesticate. None of those things. Verse number six tells us the difference. This is the difference. Whoever sheds the blood of man? Now remember the context, God has, been to- God has told Noah, "You eat animals. You may now eat animals. They'll be afraid of you. You're going to have to hunt them, okay? But you eat animals. And in verse number six, he says, "Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own." Image. See animals and plants, they're wonderful. Okay? They're neat to look at, they're wonderful to watch, they're a lot of fun to pet. But they are not humans. They are not mankind. You can love your dog. That's great. Okay? I kind of like mine. Alright? He's a good little dog. But he's not uniquely Holding the very image of God. Only men and women are. Very important. You see this throughout scripture. The, that, the God, that God has created mankind uniquely special in His image. I want to show you one more place where you can see this. It's all through the Bible, but just might be one that it's one of my favorite verses. I have to turn to it. You can. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number eleven. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse number 11. I'll tell you what it says, but, but maybe you ought to go there. It says this: that God has placed eternity on man's heart. You see, it's a man is special. Mankind is special, because they have the image of God. In them. So, where we're going to go today is back to one of the commandments. We've been doing that. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything on my notes I really wanted to hit. Okay, I think I'm good. Go to Exodus chapter 20. Go to Exodus chapter 20 with me. As we now go back to the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. I've enjoyed this. I hope that you have as well. Um, I wonder if you're feeling what I'm feeling. You know, as you go through the Ten Commandments, are you feeling? Like the, the uh, more than exhortation, the correction of them. I am. It seems like every single week we talk another commandment, and, and it feels like God is like pointing his finger at me. Okay? You kind of feel that way? See, that's the law. That's the law. The law shows us what God's perfection is, and through seeing his perfection, we understand our lack thereof. And so as we go through the Ten Commandments, it is very much expected that you feel at times, you feel convicted. That's the role of the law in our lives. And so I want us to... I want, if you're feeling that, let me say this, if you're feeling the conviction, as we talked about worshiping the true God, remember that was the first commandment? Other gods? No. And then worship God truly, so no graven images? And number three, we are to not use His name in vain. So we're to proclaim Him faithfully. And then we are to rest in Him completely, remembering the Sabbath. And then last week we talked about honoring our father and mother. Verse 5. They all talk about our relationship with the Lord and His authorities in our lives. And as you feel convicted and at any time, know that's the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of God. He convicts. And He also encourages. We're now moving to the second half. Okay? We're now moving to the second half of the ten. Now Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And really, if you want to think about it, the first five are about loving God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. First five. But the second is like it, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse number 38. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So now in commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, we're going to see that fleshed out. We're going to see it fleshed out. What does it mean to love my neighbor? To love my neighbor, what does it mean? we're going to find that that God is going to deal with us in the area of how we treat our neighbor and and how we get along with the people that we interact with. And as you know, the Lord kind of broadens this to, to include anybody that you interact with. Your neighbor. Listen, we are to love our neighbor not just if we like our neighbor. Not if our neighbor does things we agree with. Not if our neighbor has the same political persuasion. Not if our neighbor is of the same religious mindset. We are to love our neighbor as we do ourselves. Why? Why? Because they bear the image of God. Is why. So the commandments here are now going to deal with how do we treat others in their marriage? How do we treat others with their property? How do we treat others with, their, with their, even the reputation that we don't lie about others? But now we're going to look at how we treat others with their very life. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 13 is very short. You could memorize this verse if you haven't already. It simply says, you shall not murder. And in the Hebrew, it's even shorter. It's two words. You know what it says not murder that's all of verse 13 not murder we are not to murder but what does that mean what does that mean let me give you a definition of murder okay murder is the unjustified taking of human life that's what it is this word for murder is used 47 times in your old testament 47 times this word is used in your old testament now there's a whole family of words that mean the taking of life in your Old Testament. There's a whole family, I think there's nine different words, that, that mean the taking of life in your Old Testament. But the word "murder" is unique, is unique. God is never said to murder. God never murders anyone, but He does take life. He does. There are times when God is calling people, when God calls the Israelites in particular to go into a a land and to go to battle. And people are going to die. They're commanded to take life. But it is not this word murder. It is not this word murder. The murder is the unjustified taking of human life. And in God's sovereignty, this is very important, there is a time where life is justifiably taken. It's important for us to understand that today. There are times when life is justifiably taken. But it is a very unique circumstance. I want to give you one right now because I know this is a common thought that people have. Well, if God says not to murder, then why does He say to do such and such? Can you walk with me and do a little bit of Bible study and understand this? Open up your Bible, go a little further, go to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Now this is right before the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, that is. They're not a bunch of kids. We say children of Israel, that doesn't mean they're like, you know, eight-year-olds. That just means they are the people of Israel, okay? And they're going into the kingdom, all right? Chapter 9, look what God says of Deuteronomy. They They are at the Jordan River, folks. They're crossing into the promised land. And the promised land is not vacant. There's no vacancy there and they're going to go in and live there. Now what does God tell them to do? Deuteronomy chapter 9. Here, Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispose nations greater and mightier than you. Cities great and fortified up to heaven. A people great and tall. The sons of Anakim. "...whom you know, and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak?" These are scary people. Alright? They're powerful. They're big. They're strong. Know therefore today that He who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you, so you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly." as the Lord has promised you. Now there's our word. There's another one of our words for the taking of life. Perish. Perish. It's not murder. It's perish. Now that is troubling to many people. Many people read that and, and much of the rest of the, of the, the Pentateuch, and, the, and particularly the, the stories of the nation of Israel, and they're troubled in their spirit, and they say, how can this be? How can this be? How can God go in there and direct His children, His people... To take life. Isn't that murder? Okay, let's go back now. We need to further develop this. Let's go back before this event and look in Leviticus chapter 20. You're all over the place. You can hang with me, okay? Go to Leviticus chapter 20. And let's see what God is doing here. What God is doing. Leviticus chapter 20. Now, we are 40 years prior to what I just read to you, okay? We're 40 years prior. And God is telling the nation of Israel what they're going to encounter, okay? So I just went back in time, 40 years, okay? Now, read. let's read what God told the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, what was going to happen. Leviticus chapter 20, the Lord spoke to Moses and said this, Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. What is God telling Moses to tell the people of Israel? He's telling them, you're going into a land and it's a wicked land. There are people there who have abandoned all truth. They have abandoned truth and they have now so devolved, they have now gotten to the place in their life that they take their own children now and they are sacrificing them to a a false god. And it is wicked what would be done. These people would... would, the, The polytheistic worship, I'm not even going to explain it to you. They're now sacrificing children to this false god and God is now saying, enough! It is justified now. It is justified that their life be taken. Now what is, the, what is the deal here? Okay, so back to Exodus 20. You can go there or not. It really doesn't matter. It's pretty quick. We're not to murder. You shall not murder. As I said, this means to in the life, yes. But it's to end a life in a way that is outside of the plan of God. It's to end a life in the way that rejects God's power and authority. To murder is to end a life in a way that God's authority and God's power have been usurped. Okay? So a life is there. Another human comes along. And now they, they overwhelm, they override the authority of God the power of God, and they end that life. That's murder. That's murder. And the reason why it's so wrong is because it ignores God's thumbprint on man, that he bears the image of God, and it ignores God's authority in life. Now, the implications and and the places where this Plays out in life are just amazing. I've just been thinking about this at length. Okay, Murder, of course. Abortion, we've already referenced. Euthanasia. It's the ending of a life at the end where man makes the decision that life is not worth continuing, so man usurps the authority of God usurps the power of God and snuffs out of life in an unjustifiable way. Nicely called euthanasia or doctor-assisted suicide or other things that is now legal in four states of our nation. Suicide. Our church has been touched. Your lives have very likely been touched in a personal way by the damage Of the independent decision of a person to end their own life against the authority and against the power of God. We know how much that hurts. There are implications for capital punishment, for war. Jesus is going to broaden it. Now go to Matthew chapter 5. You see, but Jesus now comes before the false Jewish religious leaders that we call the Pharisees, who were wrongly interpreting the Word of God and took a movement of the Lord and hijacked it and used it for their own advantage. And now Jesus is encountering them. In Matthew chapter 5. And what had happened is, man often does, what, what, here's what man does, to make himself feel better, he finds somebody else that's worse. That's how we do it. Okay? I have some area in my life that I'm ashamed of, so I find some area in your life that I'm scoring better than you, and I look at that and it makes me feel a whole lot better. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to deal with that. Verse number 21 is where I'm going to read. And Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old... You shall not murder. That's Exodus chapter 20. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's thereafter Exodus. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now here's what we're doing now. I want us to see that the the prohibition against murder is also then brought into the New Testament. But what Jesus does, because He's God, He also reveals to us what is also under the same umbrella of unjustifiably taking a life. And the first thing that Jesus sort of puts His finger on here is the thing that we might call anger or hatred In our heart. Let me say a couple words about this. Jesus says, I said, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And so, what Jesus is indicating is that we can can foster hatred, murder in our heart. This word anger is very interesting. There's two, primarily two Greek words that are translated anger in your New Testament. Okay? One is like a a, a very quick flash of anger. Okay? You know, something happens and uh, you get mad like you might call it, to rage. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Okay? We need to stay in control of our anger. In your anger, do not sin. So there's a word that means that. It just it means a, a flash of anger, a red face, veins bulging type of quick anger. Okay? That's not this word, though. That's not this word. This is the word thumas. Okay? I'm sorry. The other word is the word thumas. This is orgizo. And what it means is it's a slow, smoldering anger that lives in your gut. It lives inside of you. It's related to the word orge, which is an explosion. So this is an anger that lives in your gut, smoldering like charcoal in the pit of your stomach towards somebody who wronged you. Very likely long in the past. And Jesus here says, I know some of you. This isn't, you know, you stepped on my foot and I got mad. I don't get on my foot, man. Uh uh-uh. uh. This is long term holding on to anger in your heart. And it comes out of you where you insult your brother, you've got this anger in you, and you insult your brother, and you even at the end say, "You fool, What does that mean? Now, a fool for us, is you know, a person that runs around and does stupid stuff, right? That's what, that's what it is. For us. That's not a fool here. The fool says in his heart, "There is no God." Do you know what it is when Jesus... you know what Jesus is speaking to? When in your heart in anger, you look at another image bearer of God and you think, I want you to go to hell. That's what that is. You godless person. You person that commits that sin. You person that's wrapped up in that stuff. You don't deserve to live. Matter of fact, you deserve to go to hell, and I look forward to you being there. Oh, man, you are a murderer. You are a murderer. That's what Jesus is saying. This thing is sometimes called racist, right? It can be called homophobe, right? We can have this same feeling towards those that are either Republican or Democrat or Bernie Sanders fan or Clinton fan or whatever, Trump, uh, all over the place, right? Listen, go ahead and fill in the blank of the person who is most just unacceptable to you, whatever it is. Make it whatever you want them to be. Baltimore Ravens fan, that's fine, I don't care. Not really. And that feeling that you have in your gut, you've got to recognize. They have in them the image of God. I don't care if they're showing it or not, it doesn't matter whether they're displaying it or not. Your hatred of them is unjustified. It is unjustified. And so therefore, it is murder. Go to the Lord for forgiveness. Ask Him to change your heart. Confess your sin to Him and repent this day and be saved. Yeah, that said that. Yeah, and be saved. If we are in Christ, we will love people. We will love people the spirit of god will do that in our life if we are in christ so that's the first one okay remember i told you that the law is like this okay it just is it just is but the end of the story is grace that god offers you forgiveness he offers me forgiveness and he offers to make us new creatures I'm going to run out of time so I got to go quick here. You can look at Romans 13:9 on your own time. Let's go now to James chapter 3. Okay? Let's go to another one in our New Testament. Go to James chapter 3. So first of all, we've got this feeling of hatred, okay? This slow burning hatred in our heart, okay? And the, the that that's our first one. We're going to look at James now, chapter 3. And and here it says, I need to get there with you. James chapter 3, we're going to have the same concept Okay, reiterated in in the Word of God. Now, again, it's connected to the tongue. It's connected to what we say. Because we know what Jesus said. Out of the overflow of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. The mouth speaks. Your mouth is a thermometer. Your mouth is. It measures your heart. It measures what is in your heart. Because when that thumos happens, ow, I'm mad. Blah. Out comes my heart. See? The orgizo that we can, that's smoldering, I can, I can hide that because it's just down here in the pit of my gut and it's just smoldering. I can hide that from you. But thumos comes out. Blah. And then you see my heart. So in James chapter 3, it's really a great teaching here when it talks about the tongue in verses 5, 6, 7, 8. Verse number 8. No human being can tame the tongue. You cannot do it. You cannot tame your tongue. So what does that mean? Does it mean it's just a wildfire that just burns everything down? No. It means the Spirit of God will come and control your tongue because He'll control your heart. Actually, no. He'll change your heart. And then your tongue will be controlled now by your new heart. Look at verse number 9 though. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. My brothers, He says, this ought not to be so, that from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. This ought not to be so. I want you to see here that again in the New Testament, the the author here, James, as the Spirit of God empowers him to give us the Word of God, the author now is not telling us to guard your tongue, to control your tongue, to to work on your tongue, to to discipline your tongue, to practice not speaking against people, to to try harder, to commit more, to tell yourself even louder, I'm not going to do this. No. Where the author takes us to our thoughts and to our hearts, and where it takes us is see the likeness of God in people. They are made in the likeness of God. I take it here from this passage that it may, make very, it may make very much sense for this individual, for this believer to curse that person. It might make all kinds of sense. You might watch them and think, yeah, they should probably curse them. It'd make a whole lot of sense. I mean, look what they did to them. Look what they said around them. Look who they are. Look at how they act. They should curse them. But God says, no! They are made in the likeness of God. Why is murder so wrong? The same reason it's wrong to curse. The same reason it's wrong to be bitter. The same reason it's wrong to hate. The same reason it's wrong to wish one did not exist or spent eternity in hell. The same reason. Because every single person you see, every one of them, has the image of your God. The image of your God. I like to say, Thumbprinted on their heart. And so when you curse them, or when I curse them, when we curse them, God says this. Turn in your Bible if you have a chance here, to First John chapter four. First John four. Look what God says. First John chapter four, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, fill in the blank, what comes after? If anyone says, I love God, you probably think, that's a good thing. Good for them. Thumbs up. I like them. Mm -mm. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother... Whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Understand the logic? Understand the logic? You look at a person, and you don't love them, you hate them. What is it you hate about them? What is it? Is it that they have a body, soul, and spirit? That they are both material and spiritual. That they are made with an eternal spirit that will be somewhere for all of eternity. That every single person that you see on the news, on your television screen, at Walmart, every single one of them, one million years from now, get your mind around that number, one million years from now, Will still be alive. They'll still be alive. And they'll either be in one place or another. The options at that point are binary, only two. Either with God in heaven or in hell. Where Jesus says this, in Matthew chapter 25, verse number 46, he explains. And uses the same word about heaven, eternal, that he does about hell. So the lake of fire, the ultimate, the ultimate destination for those who have rejected Christ, lasts as long as heaven. Is that what it is you hate about them? No, of course not. Let's be prodded in our heart. Let's be prodded. With things here, okay? Like, for instance, one, I only got time for one. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Please be burdened today. Let the Spirit of God break your heart right now for people who need Him, who show they need Him. Their life is reflecting their need, as Pastor Billy started out our worship time with. God is not willing that any will perish. That means He isn't wanting this. Hell wasn't even made for anybody but Satan. You know that? Hell was designed for Satan and his demons. But when Satan came and tricked man and and tempted man, and man rebelled against God, God had no option for those who would not be redeemed. They could only go to the place that was designed for Satan. They could only go to hell. It was the only place they could go. And that's where they will be because they must be separated from the presence of God because on our own we can never be forgiven. We can never be justified. We can never be declared holy apart from the finished work of Christ on the cross. So that's where many are headed today. And my heart breaks that maybe this morning in Orlando, when at 2 o'clock in the morning when people thought they were just having a good time, they woke up. Facing judgment. If they're outside of Christ, their eternity... No, no matter what. Their eternity is set. If they're outside of Christ. Matthew 10 is very important. Verse number 28. Do not fear those who kill same Greek word... That's a Septuagint use in Exodus chapter 20, the unjustified taking of a life. That's not capital punishment. That's not in a time of war. That is the unjustified taking of a life. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is speaking about Himself and the Father. Be moved today with the image of God thumbprinted on every single person that you encounter. Of course we aren't to take their life. Of course, we aren't to have bitterness in our heart towards them. Of course, we aren't to curse them. Of course, we aren't to proclaim loudly how they deserve hell. Of course. But the last call here is we tell them about Jesus. We tell them about Christ. Just yesterday, out on the property, those of you who served, I thank you. I thank you for those who did that. And I stood there talking to one man, one man, who, who told me about his life. Told me about his life. While his kids are making sand art, he's telling me about his life. And I couldn't cry a tear, right, not in front of him, no. But my heart ached for him. Because as he shared with me his life, I sat there thinking, "You need Jesus, my friend. You need Jesus hope they would be here this morning I'm not giving up yet I'm not giving up I'm going to keep planting seed I'm going to keep casting seed because the image maker wants to draw image bearers to himself will you join him let's pray Lord Jesus thank you for your word thank you for the power of it God use it Lord, we confess our sin before You. Lord, we can be bitter in hatred. Bitter and haters of people, Lord. And we, we don't want that. We, we weep over that. And we turn from it now in our hearts. A godly sorrow produces repentance. So Lord, in sorrow, repent. And we want You to give us a supernatural love for others your image bearers. In Jesus' name, amen.